I went into Roots Cafe the other day and I ran into a friend of mine who I happen to know is clean and sober. And he was sitting with his nephew, who I also learned is in sobriety. And I told him about our podcast, Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores. And he just loved the title and said, oh, I want that on a t-shirt. And I said, well... Stories about addiction? We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? Mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars? And thieves? And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're on the air with me, Nancy Adair, the host and creator of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores, the podcast that brings you stories from both the dark side and the light side of addiction and recovery. And today, once again, I'm delighted to have my season two co-host with me, Lori Jones. And welcome, Lori. Oh, thank you. I'm super happy to be here. Having a blast. So, Lori, you said that you had quite a few responses to a recent interview I did with Joey R. And I'm delighted to hear that he stirred some emotion and some thought. Dude, dude. <laughs> yeah. So I did listen to um, the interview with Joey. And yeah, I, the first thing I want to say, cause I have a lot of things that I've been thinking about since listening. But one thing I want to point out is I could just hear his enthusiasm. Like he's loving life. This guy is loving life. And he has such a, he has really a pretty, uh, extraordinary story as far as um, kind of where he came from and, you know, some of the situations he was in. Um, but one of the things I would say, you know, right out of the gate is he's just really enjoying life right now. When you think about the alternative, you know, and, you know, that's what, that's what I got right away is that he is just so, um, I would say he's proud of himself. I'd say he's proud of himself. And that's because he has so many family members who are proud of him. And that's just so great to hear. And I love that for him. Um, and it just seems like he's been able to take, you know, I would call it the mundane of every life and he's just everyday life and he's embracing it. And um, wow, I just really enjoyed that. And just also just hearing how you met him, you know, he's somebody that you encounter on a regular basis and, you know, what are the chances, you know? Not only what are the chances of meeting and connecting with someone, connecting on this level of recovery and how good life can get when you're clean and sober by meeting up and we play together regularly pickleball on the pickleball court. And he's so funny. People will see Joey as really dramatic, even on the pickleball court. He's younger than most of the players. He's half my age. I'm 66. Joey is 33. And he will go after every ball where 
you know, even at 66, I'm often young on the court and Joey will run from one side of the court, get a ball, do a pirouette, running to the other side of the court to get a ball, you know, back and forth. And he'll fall down running for a ball and, you know, maybe get it and then bounce back up before the ball comes back over the net. I mean, it's just so lively. And, you know, when he's in the stands watching me, he'll cheer for me. (laughs) Yeah. Get away, Nancy, you got them, you know, like you can do this. It's just great. And there is so much enthusiasm during the interview. Joey actually broke down and cried. And it was, you know, when he was talking about having that pride in himself and being invited to participate in a friend's wedding. And, you know, where he was the guy that showed up and everybody was like, oh, no, you know, potentially Joey could ruin the wedding. And we all have one of those people in our family that's like, oh, God, I hope so-and-so doesn't show up or, you know, will we all survive? Or, you know, I've officiated a number of weddings and people are like, yeah, we hope that it goes smoothly, but our cousin Al is often a troublemaker or if he starts drinking too much or, you know, all kinds of things. Isn't it, um, to me, it's amazing with Joey being 33. It's amazing to me that he has that type of self-awareness that he, like he's, he's proud and he is a, is a bit in awe that he gets invited to do these things because he does have self-awareness to understand that he was that guy. You know, he was the guy that could potentially ruin it. And now it sounds like he doesn't really take for granted that he's, number one, been embraced by his own family, sort of invited back into the fold. So obviously that was something that was really important to him that he was missing out on. But now just like the little things of uh, being part of a wedding, um, you know, some things that we might take for granted. Him just talking about, yeah, my apartment, my bills are paid. I mean, I think a lot of us could just take a lesson from Joey. I kind of want to see Joey get his own reality show because I would be tuning in. I, I I I would, I would, I would watch your show, Joey, if you're listening, you know, we should hook you up because I think we could have a, uh, we could have a good show because I'd be tuning in for sure. There was a moment in the interview where he incited a lot of emotion in me because he talked about, in his words, in his vernacular, it was pop. He was pop um, for selling fentanyl. And as you know, Lori, my nephew passed away a little over a year ago from an overdose of heroin with cut with fentanyl. And it's just so like, it's so meaningful to me to be communicating with somebody who now has a life because they put that in the past and recognizing at the same time that he's part of the, or was part of the problem that I'm now part of a statistic of, you know, families that have lost someone near and dear to them due to the epidemic of heroin, the heroin epidemic, and especially Mm -hmm. things being cut with fentanyl. And my understanding is that heroin isn't the only drug being cut with fentanyl now, too. It's just horrible. Yeah, it's so scary. And, you know, the other part of that, I mean, because Joey was, you know, telling the story, you know, like you say, he got popped by the cop. And, you know, he, I don't know, just like, it's almost like what I could picture something you would actually see in a movie, not real life, but he was living this life, you know, of sort of running from the cops and then doing drugs at the same time. And, um, you know, he talked about it a little bit 
you know, a little bit during the interview, he did talk about, you know, having some street cred, like some street credit, so to speak, because he's now he's helping people and he's been there. So he's relatable in that way. Like there's, it sounds like there's not much he hasn't seen or experienced, you know, to the point where, you know, it really, you know, it really jumped out at me at the beginning of the interview when he was talking about he got um, he got busted for trafficking drugs with his mother. And yeah. And so, you know, I, you know, it just seems like this kid didn't stand a chance. And here he is. You know, he it, it's quite a story. It is. And I even wrote down Earl Sanchez because he talked about his burner phone. I mean, this, again, is something that you would maybe see in a movie but not necessarily it's your neighbor down the street living this life. Um, I have to ask you this. What did he refer to when he said, I never grew up? Well, you know, I was thinking of that as the title for this show is It's Never Too Late to Grow Up. I think that what Joey might have been referring to is just the adolescent frame of mind of the addict who, you know, when our kids were little and they're like, Oh, watch me, watch me. Like they want your constant attention. And I think Joey had that going on in terms of his relationship to anyone and everyone. Like, look at me, look at me. And frankly, there's still some of that. You mentioned that, you know, the mundane is he has great gratitude for paying his bills on time. It's like, well, you're 33, you know, hopefully you will pay your bills on time. And um, you know, my son's 26 and has his own home and Joey's renting an apartment and feeling terrific that he's got his bills paid on time and that he's paid his rent. Well, good. And I remember in my own early years of sobriety, I felt like I should get a reward for getting the quarter in the toll booth basket. Like, mm-hmm. oh, look at me. I mean, no, I mean, <laughs> run the toll booth. I actually paid the quarter, you know. That's right. Oh. Oh my God. What my thought is this, how I wrote, I wrote this down and I'm going to just kind of repeat it to you. How is Joey still alive? Thank goodness he is, you know, that, that he is here to be able to talk about it and to help other people. I mean, there has to be a, a purpose for this. And it seems like he really is settling into his purpose. You know, in the last couple of interviews that I've done with Joey and with Natalie, I talked about the my own adolescence and being lucky to be on the planet like that's where you start with the gratitude I'm you know above ground and both in the desperation of where my own addictions took me in terms of promising myself every day I wouldn't use and then using left me with no self-esteem and we used to joke in the hall's of 12-step programs early on that thank God for low self-esteem because without it, I wouldn't have any self-esteem at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. <laughs> and I was so desperate that I the, the cement in the middle of the highway looked really good to me. Mm-hmm. I was just afraid that I might land up a paraplegic or something, you know, um, instead of dead and that I'd be worse off. And there were times when I couldn't imagine that things could get worse. And I was working in a children's home for uh, 12 kids at a time as an overnight worker. 
you know, with kids with disabilities and emotional problems. And I was suicidal on a daily basis at that time, you know, in my early 20s. And I think, huh, you know, and I was telling stories in the, I think it was in the interview with Joey that I don't know if it was myself or myself and this particular teen girl, we would have a game that we played or at least dared each other to run through red lights and stop at green lights. And believe it or not, stopping at a green light is more dangerous than running a red light because you can look and, you know, and um, and going down. I remember her going down the wrong way on one way streets in Boston or outside of Boston in Cambridge. Oh, that's that's dangerous stuff for sure. Yeah. It's crazy stuff. It's crazy dangerous. It's it's like, oh, I remember one um, one time someone asked me, can't that kill you? I was just using a combination of drugs with alcohol. And I said, Yeah. So like, you know, that was my whole attitude was this uh, level of risk that didn't compute. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like, you know, somebody's telling you, you know, that could really hurt you. And you're just saying, well, that's kind of what I'm trying to do. Or like what Joey was saying, nothing phases me. Nothing can really hurt me. And I, I certainly think I don't believe that my nephew thought that would be the last time. No, no. It just seems to me like Joey is alive by the grace of God. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure. And I he, really do believe yeah. also, Lori, that the people who are alive are chosen. And I don't want to get too religious. You know, I'm spiritual, not religious. Uh, and I don't think the Joeys of the world get clean and sober to live ordinary lives. You know, they will have an impact and they're meant to do extraordinary. Yeah, we talk about this a lot. Where, you know, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores, they are artistic people. They are sensitive people. You know, in this case, Joey, you know, he he seems to be kind of an out there kind of guy. I don't know if I'm not, I'm, I need to choose my words better when I say out there. But I mean, like you said, he, he's, um, he's going after the pickleball. He's very dramatic about it. You know, he's that guy. He's very passionate about playing pickleball. During this interview, he's very passionate about being sober and how he got there. And so my thought is, I bet Joey is a very sensitive, creative kind of guy, you know, Um, and people, you know, he said, you know, pardon me, I'm going to get emotional. He has every reason to get emotional, you know. He's fought really hard and 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 he deserves to be um, proud of himself and he deserves that his family is proud of him because, you know, he has, you know, he has fought the fight here. Um, when I think about never growing up, for me, what I hear in him is just, just not losing that lust for life, you know. And I also say, I bet he was hell on wheels when he was using. I bet he was hell on wheels, <laughs> you can tell. I, I thought you were going to say even before he was using as a little guy, you know, <laughs> So welcome back, everyone, to this episode of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores. It's never too late to grow up. So we were talking about what does it mean to be a grown-up? What does it mean to be adolescent? And as you were saying, Lori, we're talking about liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores, how we are in general a group of people that have an above average intelligence and a very sensitive nervous system. We're emotional, we're risk takers, sometimes not calculated risk, which I think can be a real asset if you take calculated risk. If you're impulsive, again, something that can be wonderful to be spontaneous and 
and not wonderful to be impulsive in a negative way. Uh, some of the character characteristics of being a, having an addictive personality can be both for the good side and the not so good side or the dark side of the same part of the personality to be somebody willing to be on the edge. And I don't know if I've shared with you before that when I got sober, I started ice climbing because I needed to be on the edge, literally on ice and with crampons on my feet and axes in my hands. And oh my gosh, I just needed something that was kind of an adrenaline rush still when I couldn't get it out of drugs and alcohol. So that would be a definite adrenaline rush <laughs> is to be ice climbing. Yeah, you've never told me that. I don't think that it, that's definitely um, sort of adrenaline junkie material. Um, when you were just talking about the responsibilities, I thought about the word adulting, you know, and adulting in sobriety. And, you know, what does that mean, adulting in sobriety? Because Joey was talking about, you know, he's adulting hard now. And um, yeah, I don't know. I can't help but think that sometimes, you know, using, you know, in my case, alcohol, if it sometimes wasn't to just avoid the stress of adulting, no? Very much so. And there was a a day at the recovery center where we have a, a morning reading and that particular day, it was about addicts and alcoholics are users. We use drugs and we use people. And Mm. then it talked about um, a life as an addict is a life of using and being used. And a life in recovery is about giving and receiving. And I think the adulting is also learning how to be in relationships that are reciprocal rather than the adolescent relationship that the world revolves around me and it's all what can I get out of this yeah that's a that's a good way to think about it I hadn't really thought of it that way we use drugs and we use people yeah the wow, hard, hard pill to swallow, so to speak. <laughs> I know that's heavy that's really heavy so I have a thought this is it's it, it's coming to me now. And just that um, Joey was young when he got sober. You were young when you got sober. You know, in some of these interviews that I'm hearing on um, on this podcast, people seem to, they got their shit together early in life, you know, and that fascinates me, actually. Well, I think in part, it's like that this whole notion of one of the AA slogans is you can reach bottom, you can call it your bottom whenever you're ready to stop digging. Mm. You know, so for me at 24, I said I had drank enough for a lifetime and probably did. It's part of hitting it heavy early. And I also think it's, um, you know, even though I came from a above average family in terms of the income, it was as dysfunctional a family as could get, you know, and my need for escapism came early and stayed hard. Um, you know, I lost my mom when I was 16 and my dad when I was 24. So I'd lost both my parents before I got sober. And when they were alive, they were using and drinking. And it was, you know, I come out of a very dysfunctional family. The brother that was a heroin addict, um, my sister was using drugs, my mom was using drugs, and my dad was drinking alcoholically. Um, Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I think my first drug was food because it was accessible, you know, at between the ages of nine and 12, I became the fattest girl in my class. And yeah, that was making, you know, food into a drug just to, you know, same as with a heroin or opiate addict, I used it to numb my feelings and literally pass out on the couch and sleep or I used to call the television, the refrigerator and the couch, the Bermuda Triangle. I lost years of my life to that triangle. Yeah. 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 So early in your 20s, you had really been through it. Like you had really, we talk about rock bottom, you had been there. And um, thank goodness, thank goodness that was like your bottom and enough for you. And that's a beautiful statement just there. What's enough for you? Like to any of the listeners out there, I remember a woman in the halls of 12 Steps that drank a drink of liqueur at night to go to sleep. And she was completely dependent on it and wanted not to be. And she called herself an alcoholic. Now, when I first went into AA, I did not identify myself as alcoholic at 24. And I was thinking, well, maybe I'm the child of an alcoholic, certainly. Maybe I'm a periodic alcoholic because I only drink periodically and then get really drunk. Maybe I'm a co-alcoholic. And it dawned on me one day, alcoholic was part of every one of those descriptions, you know, like, hello. Um, And there were people in the halls that literally this man, Bobby M would save a seat from me and say, it's okay for you to be here because there were other people with much, much bigger stories or many greater hardships that would look at me at 24 and think, what is she just need the attention of being here? Yeah, I could, I could probably see that. I mean, I, it's not that I agree with that, but I could see how there could be, and I'm going to call it hardcore. I don't even know why, but I, I could kind of imagine, you know, some people just probably lifetime, you know, hitting bottom and pulling themselves out. And then you got this kid coming along and, you know, and think and thinking, all right, kid, like you think you've had it hard. But, you know, it's different for all of us. We're all on our own journey. You know, and we talk about it a lot. Like um, if you haven't hit rock bottom, keep digging. Right. And it's different for everyone. And so what might look, you know, like rock bottom for somebody else can't may not necessarily be mine, but, you know, that's why we're all in our individual journey. You know? And one of the exercises I used to lead at the recovery center was in exercising what is a real alcoholic, what is a real dope fiend or addict. And people would suggest all these things that we'd write up on the board of, you know, having that morning drink, not being able to work, losing a relationship, literally what was a gutter drunk. And, um, and then we'd blow holes in just saying, and what was your experience, you know, and they go around the room, and it was nothing like those. You know? I know. And it's, I always say to people, if you think you have a problem, you probably do. Mm-hmm. You're questioning that you or someone you love might have a problem with drugs or alcohol. Chances are likely. Yeah. The other part of that, I think, is um, one of the exhausting pieces to that. It's the thinking about it. It's it's sort of, um, you know, when I, I can only imagine it's probably the same with food as well. And that is thinking about, okay, 
am I going to drink today? How much am I going to drink today? And or I'm not or I'm not going to drink today. And it just always being like the topic every single day in my mind. Am I going to drink today? Am I not? Okay, I'm not going to drink. And then it's like four o'clock. And oh, yeah, maybe I am going to drink because I deserve it because I've had a shitty day. And so it just goes on and on and then goes into the next day and into the next day. So I think I don't know, you know, what your thoughts are about this. But I think anything that is uh, taking up too much space in your mind, you know, perhaps that needs to be looked at. Yeah, rent-free space in your brain. Yeah, yeah. So if you're and just the thinking whole about game, oh, yeah. You know, one of my clients called it alcoholic math. I only have two, four days a week. You know, like, <laughs> only allow myself six drinks in a week, and if they all fall on one day, then I'll wait a week. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. That's just madness. Because I'll t- I'll tell you this: if if I told you I was going to drink today, and then you asked me how much I drank, I probably would tell you I had two glasses of wine. That's the num- that's the number two. That seems to be okay in my mind. When actually, if I told you two, I probably had four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? If I told you I had four, I probably had fourteen. So you know, it yeah, it definitely is living uh, rent free in your brain. So you know, make note of that sure. And save yourself a lifetime of misery. Mm -hmm. If it's taking up too much space and, you know, you're not getting any rent, you're not getting anything for it. um, Take a look. You mentioned last time we were doing an episode recording, Lori, about the sober curious, Mm -hmm. you know, and how many people are, are joining things like sober October and, uh, and just trying it on. Uh, see if you like it. A lot of restaurants are including mocktails on the menu so that it's not so obvious that you don't stand out because you're choosing not to drink alcohol. And, uh, and, and one more, I know we got to wrap up here, but I was just thinking about Dr. Amen, who I heard on an interview on another person's podcast. Um, where he was talking, well, he answered the question about alcohol. Does he drink? And he said, no, it's a toxin. Why would I put a poison in my body? And this is a neuroscientist, you know, why would I put poison in my body? And I just thought, I don't go under my sink and look for something, you know, marked poison and, uh, and add it to fruit juice. You know, it's like, no, Oh, yeah. why would no, I we don't my body? And why would we, you know, why would we put something in our body or add something to our beverages that are going to, that's going to make us feel like crap the day? I mean, think about that. It's just, it's, it, it's, it's mind boggling really, because I remember like reading some articles, you know, back when I did quit drinking, reading some articles about you know, sometimes people will have a bad night or they get sick from drinking and say, you know, alcohol doesn't necessarily agree with me. Well, it definitely doesn't agree with you. Like it, alcohol doesn't agree with any of us. And so, you know, people can get by with drinking and, you know, maybe they don't indulge or overindulge or whatnot because maybe um, alcohol is not a problem for them. But, um, you know, I don't think anyone would uh, consciously want to put something in their beverage that's going to make them sick every day. And that basically is what alcohol does to most of us. And, you know, and kind of turns me into an asshole, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. What a what a way to finish. It kind of just turns yeah. into an asshole. I had a client at the recovery center who, who said one time, he said, you know, I knew drinking I was an asshole, but it's quite a rude awakening to realize that sober I can be an asshole too. That's true. (laughs) Oh, uh, let's wrap it up. 
And uh, thank you so much for doing this again with me. It's never too late to grow up. Never. Thank you. Do you suppose we'll hear stories about addiction? We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? Mm, but mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars? And thieves? And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my. Are you a fan of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores podcast? Do you want to support the show and show off your love for LTGW? Look no further than You Can Do Merch Store, brought to you by host and creator Nancy Adair. 